welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hello, and welcome to Episode 19 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. We're glad to have you back with us, and we're going to have some fun tonight. Dan Moriarty, how are you? I'm doing great, mate. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And we have James Degnan today from Xbox Support. And we're so excited to have you. James, how's it going? Hello. Honored to be here. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And we want to get into Xbox in a second. But can you tell us, first of all, just a little bit about yourself and your role there and how you got to the company? I started as a contract vendor back in about March 2010. So I've been with the team nearly since its inception, which was in October 2009. I started as probably one of the first five people that was hired for the Twitter team, and it was just such a lucky happenstance, just a story of right time, right place, like winning the lottery and working in food service, so customer service, obviously, had some background there, but wanted to kind of get into the tech industry and leverage my customer service experience. And just, again, right time, right place, uh, found the job offering, applied, got the role, was ecstatic, obviously. And it was probably about a year and a half in that, you know, we just saw so much success that a lot of the roles from the, the kind of founding fathers of the team were converted to Microsoft FTEs. So I was converted to an FTE about a year and a half in at Microsoft. And I took over kind of the, the quality assurance management of our handle. And to make a really long story short, about six months later, I became the manager all up for the team as the the manager who originated the handle left to pursue other stuff. So there's a really quick and dirty version of where I started as a contractor, got the job just lucky, right time and right place, and was always really passionate about the team and, and making sure we were delivering great customer experiences. And because of my passion, my experience and uh, tenure, I became manager of the team. A part that I didn't tell you, Dan, is that, or Dan's, is that I'm actually no longer the manager of TweetFleet. I've actually moved on to a different role, and we can talk about that different role a little bit later if you like. But that essentially is dealing largely with the ambassador program for Xbox. And you can think of the ambassadors for Xbox today as a peer-to-peer support service. So my boss has asked me to kind of spearhead some initiatives there. But I am still very close to the Twitter team. You know, obviously they pinged me when you asked, hey, can I talk with a manager there? So, Funnily enough, James, I actually saw the Xbox ambassador program as I was doing a little bit of research for this. So definitely, I think let's get into that a little bit later. Let's start sure. with the kind of core offering and then maybe go to that, you know, maybe halfway through. Absolutely. Um, I think a fantastic place would start. I feel, I feel it would be crazy not to start with this, which is the fact that you guys actually won a Guinness Book of World Record for mm-hmm. being the most responsive brand on Twitter. How does that Absolutely. So that Guinness World Record is nearing kindergarten. It's about six years old. So back in March 2010, my first month on the team, we knew we were doing the right thing uh, for customers on Twitter, and we wanted ways to, to kind of prove it out. So we did work with uh, Guinness World Record folks and kind of landed on what a world record would look like. And the statistics there, March 2010, 
we responded to something like, and you can go look this up in GWR, something like 5,000 tweets in that month responded to on an average of two and a half minutes, which is a kind of cool statistic, right? That it sounds kind of low volume by today's standards, but five, six years ago, that was pretty impressive responding to 5,000 tweets in a month on an average of two and a half minutes. And I know you're going to ask me for context today, so I will go ahead and just tell you where we're at. We are seeing exponential volume, as you can imagine. Today, we're responding to over 5,000 tweets a day. So there is some context for you. You know, back in March 2010, 5,000 tweets in a month, and now we're at nearing and over 5,000 tweets responded to every day. The trouble is we're not necessarily adherent to that two-and-a-half-minute SLA, service level agreement, where, and and I'm just being plain, if you go look at our response times, it it can be in the upwards of 30 minutes, or, you know, if we're really inundated, it can be an hour, which is more common on Twitter now today that more people are on Twitter and more brands are responding. But there's kind of a comparison of of where we started with that Guinness World Record and where we're at today. Also, James... I'm just wondering, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. If I were on Jeopardy and Alex Trebek asked me to name the brand that is the most responsive on Twitter based on volume, I'm not sure that Xbox, without knowing that, would have come up in my mind. I probably would have gone to an airline or (laughs) something like that. So is it surprising to you? No, because I've lived and breathed it for the last five, six years. But... You know, when you really consider what the most responsive brand on Twitter is, you know, maybe we need to redefine that. And if you gentlemen are in front of a computer right now, I'd ask you to go look at the tweet amount or the tweet volume. So in that that little section on our Twitter page, if you go to twitter.com Xbox support and look at how many tweets we've sent, it says 2.19 million. And I would challenge you to go show me other brands that have an M next to their tweet amount, right? And that's not all. So you can go look at our overflow accounts. We handle so much volume on Twitter that we need overflow accounts to not hit API limits and not be able to respond to our customers. So if you just type a one next to the URL in Xbox support and go to Xbox support one on Twitter, you're going to go find 1.1 million tweets. And then do that for Xbox support two and three. And you're going to see pretty quickly that we're nearing 5 million tweets just on our first four accounts. But we go all the way up through Xbox support 12. So... Absolutely. We're up over 5 million tweets. I don't necessarily know how the world would like to consider quantifying the most responsive brand on Twitter, but I do know that I can't really find any other company out there that has even near as many tweets as we have. And those are all hand-typed tweets by agents that care about a customer and want to get them a personalized response. That's absolutely amazing. I can't name another brand (laughs) that has done that either. James, tell us a little bit about the overflow accounts. I don't think I've seen another brand do that. And I have tweeted at your support handle before, and Mm -hmm. usually I get a response from one of the overflow accounts. Tell us how that, why is it set up that way? And kind of what does the backend look like? There is rate limiting on Twitter. Even if you have a whitelisted verified account, you can only send a finite amount of tweets per a certain time frame. I'm not going to try to take a stab at exactly what that is. I don't think Twitter would really like if I did that. Even in four or five years ago, we were running up against that API limit, and we really needed to solve it. We couldn't just wait to get a response to customers. So we started creating overflow accounts to make sure that we were responding to everybody that talked to us. I'm not sure if you want to get a little bit into how our tooling works and works well for us with those overflow accounts. 
but yes, yeah, we, definitely we, we tell do, us. We, we do handle so much volume that we need them. Yeah, for sure. Tell us what kind of tools you're using to handle all of it. Right. Okay. So I'll, I'll try not to name names here. And we did not start out with a robust tool set. When I joined the team, we were tweeting out of Twitter raw. <laughs> we didn't have a great way to track conversations. It'd be going back and clicking through timelines. And, you know, we really needed to land on a solution. And, and so we did. We found kind of an upstart company uh, that had a web-based solution. And it was pretty lightweight, but it did allow us to track conversation history. We could do things like search a customer's Twitter handle and see all the interactions we've had with them. We could do things like search a keyword and see all the relative tweets with that keyword. So that kind of opened up a lot of possibility. It opened up just the possibility that we were going to be able to respond better, bigger, faster, stronger with that first tool. The second tool we landed on was a Java-based tool, and for various reasons, we thought that we'd see improvement, and that didn't necessarily pan out. And as we kind of felt the pain with that Java-based tool, and this is probably around 2011, mid-2011, we went shopping again for what was out there with third party and just didn't see anything that was going to suit our needs to handle all the volume, all the routing. And we said, to heck with it, we're going to build our own tool. And so for the last three or four years, we've been on our own Twitter interface tool that very much suits our needs and allows agents to seamlessly transition between these overflow accounts. And basically it's, it's automatic. So an agent doesn't have to pick which overflow account to tweet from, the tool is going to optimize which Twitter handles should respond. So, James, I have to ask, we've had a number of big brands on. Yeah. Um, no one so far has mentioned these limits as an issue. There. So I've got to ask, why are you guys getting so much volume? I can start by going back to those early days. I was listening to your, your previous podcast with uh, Jeff Lesser talking about the preemptive customer engagement. And that is absolutely one of our founding principles. So this is what we call founds. And this is basically butting into a customer, anybody's conversation and saying, hey, we're here to help. So back in those early days when I started on the team, that was largely what we were doing is, is going out and finding people. We would run search queries all day long and look for people saying things like talking to their friend or buddy and saying to their buddy on Twitter, I'm pissed, I can't connect to Xbox Live. And we would try to automatically swoop in and say, hey, man, we want to help you get connected. And, you know, back in those early days, that was just such an incredible wow factor to a customer. So that was one way that we really drove quite the following and quite the, the fan base. It was just something that was so unheard of that we were doing that nobody else was really out there trying to preemptively find a customer and help them. So we started growing a lot of volume that way. I'd say now, you know, six years later, we're fairly well known in the Twitterverse. It's, it, it's just kind of known that you can tweet for Xbox support. You know, it's also in our packaging. So if you go open the brand new Xbox One game and you look, how can I get help? In bold, at Xbox support is going to hit you in the face and say, you can tweet us. So we have all sorts of mechanisms to draw volume to our social channels. Can you talk a little bit about the... Sorry, I love the fact that if you open an Xbox One on the inside, there'll be the Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about you know, the conversations you had internally to kind of get that to be there, to get that integration into the, the product itself? And I keep going back to these early days because this is when we really started figuring ourselves out. And this is kind of where I'll say, you know, when we started out, we didn't necessarily have the buy-in that we have today. And I mean that with customers and internal Microsoft folks. 
we really started establishing the buy-in with customers by doing that preemptive customer engagement or founds as we call it. So quickly we stood up the community value, but the business value needed to follow suit. And, you know, based on the, the conversation you had with Mr. Lesser, he mentioned that it's an early warning system. And in those early days, we knew what we were sitting on. We knew that we were sitting on a, a real-time qualitative monitoring of the Xbox service. And, and because of that, we would be privy to emerging trends, outages, issues in very real time, maybe faster than any other entity in Xbox could be aware a comparison that I like to to make is that we have the Xbox Operations Center, okay? And this looks like kind of like a NASA control room where they're monitoring all sorts of concurrency, service health, and, and can be up to the minute on what's going on with the service. But sometimes they're going to miss stuff. And here's an example. And uh, I'm going to use UK because this is actually stuff that's happened. Let's say an IS, and it's not... Or this example isn't our fault. So, <laughs> yeah. Let's say in the UK, an ISP falls over and a subset of users start kicking back an error code. We're going to see that as a trend on Twitter in very real time. And we're going to be able to go partner with Xbox Operations Center and say, hey, you might not even be privy to this yet, but this is what's going on. So there is an example of how we partner with this quantitative entity that monitors the service, and we're very much a qualitative entity that monitors our service. So there's an example on how we really started adding value to the Xbox brand. I have more if you'd like. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Let's keep the conversation moving. I'd love sure. to hear, I mean, the volume you guys are dealing with. I mean, obviously, there's so many logistical questions that are running through my head, but one of the biggest is just the size of the team you must have there. Can you share a little about the, you know, how many people are trained, how many people are on at any given point? Is it 24-7 support? Just a little bit about logistics behind the scenes. We are not quite 24 by 7. We're 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. Pacific time. So we do have six hours downtime. And most of the time, we're going to catch those up. So when we get in the morning, we're going to start replying to the people that talk to us in our off hours. As far as the agents go... We do have, a, obviously, a team hierarchy from managers to shift leads to elite agents, as we call it, and just the entry-level CSA, which is Community Support Analyst. The team is about 35 people at the moment, and that does include the managers as well. So we have a three-shift day. We have an AM shift, a swing shift, and a PM shift. And each of those shifts is going to consist of about five, six people apiece. And I know that seems very low. And we do have an incredibly high bar for our agents. We ask them to talk to about 100 customers a day or send about 300 tweets a day, which is far and above most other requirements that I've ever found. And that is a 10-hour day. I should say agents work for 10s. How do you remove that with, with the number of people you've got? Can you talk a bit about your training programs? So you said you've got kind of a hierarchy of experience, I guess. How are you bringing fresh talent on board? How are you making sure they get trained in in meeting those high expectations that you're setting for your agents, I'm guessing both in terms of you know, efficiency, how quickly they're moving, uh -huh. but also obviously quality of, of solving the question, adding to the overall brand experience. Yeah, I mean, the ramp period is, is quite a long time. It probably takes an agent to about six months to feel fully acclimated with, with most questions a customer is going to ask. As far as training materials go, we do put the agent through standard call center training, we have our own internally developed best practices, sort of things you, our own training documents as well. 
so like the training period itself is going to be about three to four weeks and then the kind of the training wheels where we kind of say you know you're not held accountable to metrics necessarily and we just want you to figure it out and give best customer experience that's going to be to about three or four months before we really put an agent on the hook to produce and you know meet their quotas i guess as far as finding these guys the job has always kind of recruited itself it's it's a really cool place to be i think a lot of people out there you know love twitter a lot of people out there love xbox and hey what a cool place to work so when we go look for people we can do something as simple as a broadcast tweet and just say hey we're hiring click here if you want to apply and usually when we do that we get hundreds of applicants you know finding the right people has never really been a problem we do stuff as well where we'll go to call centers and and, and maybe take some call center agents as well. So it's pretty easy to find the right people. <laughs> yeah. Two quick follow-ups on that. First yeah. of all is, you know, when you have hundreds of people apply for a job after you send the tweet out, how do you filter that list down? Like, what three skill sets are you looking for more than any others? Well, filtering the list is, is not easy. Sometimes we'll employ a method like we'll give you a, a homework assignment and give you 15 or 20 mock customer Twitter questions and then before we even consider you know interviewing you you got to look pretty good in that in that homework assignment and then of course we're going to look for some of the standard stuff that you guys called out uh, with the Jeff Lesser podcast passion is is just huge it doesn't necessarily have to be passion exactly for Twitter or exactly for Xbox but if you're passionate about something that can translate pretty easy you got to have a tech background you really have to have a multi, like strong ability to multitask. Being passionate for the brand or Twitter, it really helps. And being able to demonstrate empathy and critical problem-solving skills are a must. Customer service background is a must. I, yeah. You know, plenty of people want to work in the social media space, but if you're looking at support specifically, you better know how to talk to a customer. You know, it's an entirely different animal on Twitter where. Sometimes you have really have to read between the lines on what a customer is saying and, and arrive at your own inference on, on how to best handle that situation. Absolutely. That's actually one of the things we speak about a lot is the, the kind of importance of the agents of being active on social, given some of the, the kind of cultural or contextual nuances that come through in social language that mm-hmm. you can't really train on, right? You, you have to kind of live it. Yeah. And then the second thing you said I wanted to follow up on, which... which I, my ears kind of pricked up because it's something I like and believe in is, is the idea of the agent level reporting. And you said for the first few weeks, you don't hold them accountable, but then eventually you hold them accountable to their own KPIs. Yep. What are you tracking at the agent level? Like what, what are you holding them responsible for? So I think to begin to answer that question, I have to explain how we survey customers. So we do use a third party survey mechanism and we're basically going to surface a survey to you a couple of days after you talk to us. And in that survey, we're going to ask really standard customer service questions. Like, how did we do? How was your experience with our team? Rate us one through nine. So that is CSAT. So that's a huge metric for agents. Agents strive to have the best CSAT rating possible. There's also obviously response time. So were you you really cranking the responses out and, and getting the best response time possible? We also are kind of built on a principle like teach a man to fish. So Xbox support, uh, the website, so support.xbox.com, has a wealth of self-help material. And a lot of times we're just going to try to point a customer to the right self-serve information. 
So using links is the name of the game. So that's another metric we track is, hey, agent, how many links are you sending? If you're only sending links 10% of the time, that's probably too low. If you're sending links 70% of the time, that's probably too high. So there's the right, there's a sweet spot there. Agents are also tracked on kind of up higher level stuff as well as like uh, like the analysis that they, they do for our service. So this is kind of where I, I said I have a bunch more examples on how we add value to the business, but you know, in the agent's title is support analyst. And they are really encouraged to analyze any trends they see. If it's something that we can go affect, a customer experience that we can affect for the better, then then we kind of track how many times they're they're going and partnering with any other Xbox faction to help improve a customer experience. So I know that's not necessarily a Twitter metric, but it's a, it's derived from Twitter. We're talking with James Degnan from Xbox Support. Xbox was nominated by Matt Hannaford, who's at M. Hannaford. Thank you, Matt, for the nomination. And just a reminder to all our listeners that if you'd like to nominate a brand to be on the Focus on Customer Service podcast, please tweet at us using the hashtag FOCS, like Matt did, and we'll be happy to reach out to the brand and get them on a future episode. James, I want to follow up on the surveys that you mentioned, because as I noted, I have tweeted at your brand before, and I do get that survey a couple of days later. I'm interested to know the extent of the feedback that you get from the surveys. How many people fill them out? You know, What do you use them for besides rating your agents? And you send them to everybody. Yeah, we do send them to everybody. If, if you're a unique customer to us, and that basically means you haven't talked to us in a week or we haven't sent you a survey in two weeks, you're a unique customer for and eligible for a survey and we're gonna request to everybody that, that you fill out the survey. As far as return rate goes, we probably get somewhere between a 10 to 15% return rate, which is absolutely statistically relevant. Obviously there's business insight. So in that survey, we ask, why did you tweet us? And we can correlate categories. So if we see an influx of someone tweeted us about an Xbox One DLC, then maybe that's something that we need to go look into and say, why did we get so much volume on this if the agents themselves didn't already pick up and analyze that? And somewhat related question, I noticed looking through your feed that you guys have a lot of back and forth with customers, and in fact, your agents seem to encourage that. If somebody's sending in an Xbox for repair, they say, hey, let us know if everything turns out okay. So you sort of invite the conversation to come back. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that from a strategic perspective, especially as it relates to operational costs, which you might be increasing by doing that. Yeah. Well, I'll get to the cost piece last. I think you're asking about philosophy. And it is so important to us to, to really prove to our community on Twitter that we're actually a part of that community, that we're ambassadors, essentially. You know, we're the community members just like you, and our philosophy is that we want to talk with you like, like we're your friend on Xbox Live or just your friend on Twitter. We don't want to sound like a rigid corporate entity. It's, it's very important to have an organic and fluid discussion with a customer and make them feel like a person, like we are. That might seem obvious, but that's kind of been a, a standing philosophy for a very long time. Like I was quoting to you, we have nearly or over 5 million hand-typed tweets, and those are all hand-typed tweets. Those are all agents tweeting a customer, no automation, showing a customer we care, showing a customer we're real people. 
Cool, James, I think this would be a great place to move on to the Xbox Ambassadors conversation. I'd love to kind of hear what that program is, where the idea for it came from, and where you guys are in the launch of it. Yeah, so the Xbox Ambassador program has been around for some years. Currently, it is a peer-to-peer support mechanism. And if you go to ambassadors.xbox.com, you can see that experience. It is a fairly low-gated entry to join the program. I think it's it's something like you have to have gold, and if you've had any, that's Xbox Live Gold subscription. If you have had any enforcement action on your account, then we maybe don't want you talking to other community members. There's some stipulation in getting into the program, but it's a fairly low entry. And essentially what this looks like is, is ways for you to go talk with and help fellow community members and get rewarded for it. Currently the rewards look like anything from Xbox Live time to an avatar item to maybe some games, or you can bank for sweepstakes tickets, and those sweepstakes tickets will have kind of a, a higher tier prize. But the kind of model right now is that it's somewhat gamification, where you know you participate in the program, you level up, you earn loot, and it's kind of a, a support peer-to-peer game. And a lot of people seem to enjoy it, where it's not necessarily about earning that loot. It's sometimes just about the warm fuzzy of helping a fellow community member. And sometimes it's about the prestige of saying, oh, I'm a level nine ambassador. I know what I'm talking about. And it's not just a the chat mechanism that we have. So ambassador peer-to-peer support happens in a, a one-to-one secure chat. But then you can also earn experience in the ambassador program from just going into our forums and, and answering people's questions as well. That's kind of what the Ambassador program looks like today, and recently I've become a part of helping envision the the 2.0 version of the Ambassador program, and what we've started to realize is that Ambassadors can be more than just support, and I don't mean to slight the fact that they are doing wonderfully with support, but there is all sorts of user behavior that we want to recognize, reward, and incentivize. You know, it could be just writing a stellar review for a game. Or it could be just participating in a discussion. It could be going and making friends on Xbox Live and playing multiplayer, you know, just enjoying the products. There's all sorts of stuff that we're looking to do with the Ambassador program and continue to expand on those concepts. So, James, that all sounds awesome. Is there any numbers you can share about the sort of volume that the Xbox Ambassadors are dealing with compared to your support team? Yeah, so I can't necessarily disclose exact numbers for the participants in the Ambassador program, but to make a comparison, I can say that the Ambassadors handle just about as much volume as our tweet fleet does. So they handle as much volume as our Xbox support Twitter handle does. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. So, James, we're heading towards the end of our questions here, and we love to end with two questions in particular. I'll ask the first one, which is, can you share with us a memorable, a particularly memorable interaction that you've had with a customer over social media and maybe why that one has stuck in your brain? Oh, boy. There's just been so many, and I'm not exactly sure what you're looking for with this one. I mean, there's, there's celebrities that I've talked to. There's been very difficult upset customers that i've talked to which sort of spectrum would you like to hear about (laughs) well i think whatever you would consider to be memorable okay well there's been plenty of times where a customer has not had a great experience with our traditional support and and we kind of swoop in to give them you know the white glove there's one that's really memorable to me because it was probably it was back in those early days for me when we were just upstart and and I was dealing with this very upset customer who was trying to get 
system update on his 360, and he did not have internet access, which you pretty much need internet access to get a system update on your 360. Now, there is an offline option, but that still requires you to download a file and put it on a USB device or a CD. So after days of talking to this customer and just saying, you know, I totally get you, man. Is there any way you can just go hook your console up to a friend's house or have your friend download that uh, the update and put it on a USB? Is there any way we can just move past the fact that you don't currently have internet access? And he's very adamant that it's up to us to resolve this for him. And at the time, we just didn't have the ins to, to get this guy the right resolution. And we felt like he should he might get the right resolution with our phone team. So we kind of bounced him a couple times back to our phone team and, and say, just ask them to help you with the system update. And, and eventually like, you know, I think that he talked to the right person on the phone team and that they kind of got him to realize that he could go to, you know, a local print and copy store. Um, I think this was Kinko's. I, I don't know if I can quote brands, but the agent directed this guy to Kinko's and Kinko's, bless their hearts, they tried to help him download the update and put it on a USB, and for whatever reason, that didn't work. So, we hit a really powerful dead end with this guy, and he was super upset with us, and I had been talking to him for days, and essentially, we got to a point where a coworker of mine and I just said, you know what, we're going to send this guy a CD. We don't really care about whatever process needs to happen. We can look this guy's gamer tag up. We can see his address, and we're just going to send him a CD that we know has the update, we know will work, and we've tested it. So this, the team was probably only five, six people at the time. We burned the update onto a CD, and we all signed it, sent him a letter. I think we probably sent him some live gold time and said, really sorry about the experience. Thanks for sticking with us. That was an example of, of us just really caring about this guy and making sure that he could enjoy the product. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. The second of the last questions we always ask, James, is obviously you've learned a ton over the last, what is it? I mean, coming on six years now, right? Mm -hmm. If you could talk to yourself six years ago, if you could share you know, one or two pieces of advice about what you, what you wish you knew about social customer service when you started in this crazy world, what would you tell your younger self? Uh, Dan, have, have you participated in any of my interviews? <laughs> That's one of my most favorite interview questions uh, oh, for, for agents. What advice would you give yourself that you think would have saved, you know, some some pain, some agony, some missed opportunities with regards to Xbox support? It's really tough to kind of go back and put myself in those shoes. I've met a lot of success, and I think the team has met a lot of success, and I wouldn't change a lot. I would have maybe prepared myself a little bit more for the drastic changes that are the Xbox spectrum. So here's a big difference in, in where we were six years ago. Six years ago, Xbox was a gaming console, and it existed only on the console, Xbox 360. Soon after the team started, we launched Kinect, and it kind of expanded what Xbox could do and what Xbox customers were purchasing. So we started talking to different types of customers. It wasn't just, you know, your hardcore gamer anymore. Soon after that, apps became a really big thing on the console, so we started having to support just this host of apps. After that, we started launching experiences like Xbox Music, which is now called Groove, and Xbox Music and TV, that's what they were called back then. These are huge new properties that we had to support, and it was it just kind of super expanded our spectrum of what we needed to know. And then about a couple of years ago, we had an E3 and announced Xbox One. 
And once we announced Xbox One, it kind of changed the face of this team. It was kind of this like, oh, oh my gosh moment where we had so much more volume and had to learn so much more while still supporting all the stuff that we had always supported. So it's been a really interesting ride in, in adding on all this, this really cool stuff with Xbox, all these new features, and expanding our scope of what we can support. And I guess my advice to myself back then would have been just be ready. Just ride that wave, man, and, and just enjoy it, you know, because this is a really cool, exciting time. It's a great product, and we're in the right space to support it. So just stick with it and, and be happy about it. <laughs> Great stuff from James Degnan of Xbox Support, the owner of a Guinness World Record for most responsive brand on Twitter. James, thanks so much for being with us on our podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingas and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.